Okay, so I just saw this on uh, Instagram. This is one of the many things going on at, at the border. I'm just going to let this guy do his little explanation. This is Panic Attack. It's Big John. Uh, Getter and Twitter at the real underscore Big John. Like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Hang on a second here. Now, what you're seeing here, this is not human smuggling. This is human trafficking. When you see these wristbands and you notice the different colors, this is how emboldened Cartel de Gafo has become, that they're placing these wristbands on men, women, and children. One that should bother you the most are these that are, that are still sealed. Now, the reason for that is you can see with these young babies, the cartel uh, puts these on them. It's a process. It validates that they have set up a payment plan to pay for years or decades to come just for crossing that river. When I see one like this, this comes from a child. You see, they don't have to break it. Their little wrists are so small, they just slide them right off. And you can see two of them here. But each one represents an alien smuggling organization that works for the Gulf Cartel. They'll usually have anything from a devil on them or some kind of insignia, as you're seeing here with the different star patterns. But it also has, if you'll notice here, a number. And that number is assigned to a migrant. So this is the process for Cartel de Gafo to treat these men, women, and children as a commodity. Now, what you're seeing here, this is not human. Okay. So what you see there is disturbing. That is human trafficking being run like a business. A business. These people are paying money. They have a payment plan. What happens when they don't make their payment? Bad things. That's all I'm going to say. Bad, bad things. But that's why we need our southern border secured. Because if they know they can't smuggle and traffic people in on a whim, easily, with no problem, no resistance... They're going to keep doing it, and it's going to get worse, and it's going to be very, very bad for the people that are being trafficked. Not just worrying about Americans, not just worrying about the government, not just worried about American jobs. These are human beings being treated like a commodity. Be right back. Thank you. Let's get into some more thoughts and feelings and things I, I ran into today. Uh, there was an ongoing battle this summer between the Ohio legislature, particularly the Redistricting Commission of Ohio and the Ohio Supreme Court. Now, I've talked about this enough, and I've explained to you in other videos about the rogue Supreme Court Justice, Maureen O'Connor, who continuously sided with the Democrats in this. And there are a lot of theories out there as why she did that. But we're not going to worry about that. So I had to bend over and pick something up. The point of the matter is Ohio Senate President 
Matt Hoffman, and House Speaker Bob Kopp have filed an appeal with the United States Supreme Court. Uh, both Huffman and Cuff sit on Ohio's redistricting commission. They're both Republicans. In a statement they wrote, while many believe that the Ohio Supreme Court majority misinterpreted state law, there is also a broader concern that the court assumed a role the federal constitution does not permit to exercise. Period, point blank, what the meaning of all of that is and why now it's before going before the Supreme Court. I don't know if the Supreme Court has decided to pick it up, but they picked up a similar case from North Carolina. The Constitution of the United States gives the power of drawing the Congressional and State House and State Senate district lines to the state legislature exclusively, not to an apportionment board or a redistricting board, the legislature itself. So, I think if they take if the Supreme Court takes this case up, along with the case from North Carolina, they're going to come back with a decision that these state laws that uh, make up a, a redistricting board are wrong. They're illegal by the Constitution, and the power to redraw districts or draw districts is solely that of the legislature, not an appropriations board, uh, a redistricting board, the legislature, and that's it. And then it's going to get real fun. Uh, what they were trying to do here in Ohio and in other states, they wanted the districts to be drawn fairly. Well, it's not fair that this district has more Republican voters than it does Democrats. As I'm going to show you in a little bit, Ohio is a red, red state. Okay, occasionally we'll piss off our peoples and they'll go Democrat. But rarely have the Democrats held the governor all the statewide offices, uh, the legislature, and the state senate. The majority of my lifetime, and particularly the 24 years I've been involved, all but one term has, we had, has the governor been a Republican. Ted Strickland was Republican for... Er, Ted Strickland was not a Republican. He was governor. He was the one Democrat governor in the last 24 years. Before that, I think you might have had to go back to 84 or 88. And Dick Celeste was governor for four years. Ruined everything. And then, uh, 
I believe George Voinovich got elected governor after that. Or it might have went back to Rhodes. Rhodes was governor of Ohio for like eons. They actually had to put term limits in because of him, I think. Because he served as governor a long time. And then he took some time off and came back. Whatever. Not important. But Ohio, it's nearly impossible to draw a district that is 50% Democrat, 50% Republican. And the Democrats gerrymander districts in the states, the few states that they control. Alright, moving onwards and upwards. J.D. Vance fundraised $6.9 million in the third quarter, uh, a vital quarter leading up to this election. Here's what's important, and here's how this ties into my last story. Tim Ryan is way outraising J.D. Vance. Thanks to contributions from Hollyweird. Vance still holds a slim lead. And I'm my friend and I are predicting that my friend that comes on here sometimes, Doc, we're predicting Vance to win by eight to eleven percent. Every quarter this year, Tim Ryan has broken a fundraising record. Uh, he's not being very forthcoming with where his money is coming from, but those in the know know it's coming from California. It's coming from New York. It's coming from the big liberal PACs. Uh, here we go. July to September, Ryan Ra- Tim Ryan... I don't want to confuse you guys too much because Tim Ryan has two first names. His first name is Timmy. His last name is Ryan. Tim Ryan, in the same amount of time, raised $17.2 million. And J.D. Vance holds a 1% or more lead. After the debate Tuesday, or I don't think it was Tuesday, the debate last week sometime, if Ryan's lead or Ryan's distance didn't get further back, if Vance's lead didn't increase, I'll shit a brick. Because Vance schooled him in that debate. It was ugly, it was mud slinging, but Tim Ryan looked off. He was probably drunk, because that's his thing. But he came across as not being all there. To another debate that I warned you I was going to watch and analyze. I watched the Herschel Walker-Raphael Warnock debate. Herschel Walker scored a game-winning touchdown in this debate. When the next polls come out, I will be in shock if, if it's not a statistical tie 
or if Walker isn't ahead by a little bit. I believe it was the New York Times just published a hit piece, a very racist hit piece on how Herschel butchered the English language. I'm not even going to go there. That's very ignorant of them. But Walker was often very plain spoken. He spoke like an average person would speak, but intelligently and coherently. He gave straightforward answers, very concise and to the point. And that was his strategy, and that's what he said he was going to do going into this debate. He wasn't going to talk over people's heads. He's not, you know, a sophisticated, aristocratic person. But he's got a message for the people. And his straightforward answers, his simple language, his, his actually, I would call it eloquent, but, but simple way of explaining things will resonate with Georgia voters. His message, the way he talked, will resonate with people. He was very plain-spoken, very critical of Warnock's relation to Biden, how he votes with Joe Biden 96% of the time. Those were Herschel Walker's talking points. Oh, Joe Biden, or pardon me, oh, Raphael Warnock, you, you try to vote with Biden 96% of the time, and... Warnock, he tried to invoke the name of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Warnock is the pastor at the church Martin Luther King Jr. pastored. Uh, He said that Herschel Walker being a Republican was an insult to the legacy of Dr. Reverend King. I don't understand how that is, but that's what Warnock said. All of Warnock's answers were dodgy. He dodged questions. He didn't get to the point. He didn't give straight answers. His answers were long-winded. He, he basically tried to talk over people's heads and say he was trying to prove the point. He was more prepared to represent Georgia and Washington, but it came off as sounding... I'm better than you, so you should send me to to Washington to represent Georgia. He really acted aristocratic and acted like he was better than everyone. Voters don't like that. So if Herschel Walker was down 3% with a margin of error of 3 or 4%, I say Walker is in a tie or a head. And the next set of polls will come out. And if people watched this debate, they're going to uh, set that up. If people watch this debate, Herschel set himself up to win. So I'm interested to see what the next week or two's polling in this race looks like. I think that 3% 
gap between Warnock and Walker evapor evaporates, gets vaporized, <laughs> and Walker is in the lead at this point, if at the least tied, but I say he's probably in the lead. So that being said, God bless you guys. Pray for one another. Love somebody today and be the reason somebody feels loved. Next panic attack. We'll see you later. Big John signing out. Nanu, nanu. As Mork from Ork would say.